All right, hello everyone and welcome to The Riverfront. This is episode number 434, which is just an absurd number that remains difficult to believe. As you may have noticed, Chad is nowhere to be found. Little known fact, the uh, National Podcast Network also has an all-star break. And no surprise to anyone, Chad was the Riverfront's lone representative. Um, um, fingers crossed for next year, but I uh, hope he's been able to relax amid all those crazy trade rumors surrounding him. Who knows? Yeah, nobody will take um, him no matter how hard we try. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got some uh, some fantastic folks that are taking his place today. Um, the man you just heard from is a guy that needs very little in- introduction around these parts. It's the pod father. Bill Lack. Welcome back, Bill. How are you? I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm celebrating our regional holiday tonight by being on the podcast. It is Jimmy Buffett night in Cincinnati. Um, and as, you, as you, everybody knows, Cincinnati was the uh, the beginning of the Parrothead name. And, and so it's a, it's still to this day a region, even though he only plays one night here now, it's, it's still a regional holiday here in, in the Cincinnati area. Well, it is always Jimmy Buffett night in my house. Um, also on with us tonight is one of my favorite folks in Red's land, one of the best Twitter followers on the web, the founder of Red Reporter, the czar of the ZA, and a guy who is just about the polar opposite of Nick Crawl doing to be to be due to being good at speaking. Wick Terrell, how are you, Wick? I'm good. I'm actually I'm I'm I'm, I'm remembering some old uh, trips up to Riverbend to go see Jimmy Buffett. My dad was a big big fan, still is a big big fan. Uh, uh, big pair head as well. And I think 1998 would have been the first year I went with him up to Riverbend to go catch a Buffett show, uh, mostly because I was 16 so I could drive him up and drive back, uh, which was a big, big plus for him at that point in time. So uh, I, I am uh, envious. I know plenty of people that are up at that show tonight having the time of their year. Uh, it's how he does it up there every single year. And it certainly is a holiday in the Cincinnati area. But um, I'm, I'm very glad to be uh, with you guys tonight. And uh Hopefully all the parrot heads will uh, tune in tomorrow to the Riverfront <laughs> podcast and see what they missed out on today. Little, little Jimmy Buffett trivia. I ran, I started and ran the first Jimmy Buffett listserv on the internet probably 30 <laughs> years ago. That's why he's the Bobfather. And, and this, was, this was about the time when I was running the, the Reds and Bengals listserv list, where I originally had met Chad. I was also running the Jimmy Buffett listserv list for, for a million years. I, I think I ran that for like, I don't know, 15 or 20 years. <laughs> Some barometer soup days. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was probably just about, that was about the end was about barometer soup. Was when <laughs> I, I folded the tent up and went home. <laughs> Y'all are speaking a language that I'm just unfamiliar with. <laughs> I'm but a sucker for yeah. live shows. I'll tell you that. So, yeah. which is, which yeah, is the, why, why, the, why the Reds have been such a bummer this year. Cause the live shows they've been putting on have been a little bit subpar. So lackluster. <laughs> Well, before we dive too deeply in, um, I would like to ask politely and with love in my heart to please hit that subscribe button on your YouTube channel. Uh, we're slowly trying to influence YouTube's algorithm to such an extent that you're bombarded with our ugly mugs every which way you turn, and we need your help to do it. So head on over to youtube.com slash riverfrontcincy and smash that button. Boom. Figured out how to do the caption. What's up? Chad's going to be so proud. <laughs> And on a uh, slightly lesser note, I do want to say that I would like to take a moment to acknowledge the passing of Donzetta Nuxall, widow of Reds Hall of Famer Joe Nuxall. She passed away shortly ago at the age of 93. By all accounts, she was just an amazing woman with a profound impact on the Cincinnati community. 
Rest in peace, Don Zeta. I bet there was a fellow there waiting for you with a big smile on his face. And a beer. And a beer. <laughs> and a gold. <laughs> my, what kind my, of beer I they serve in heaven? I want to know. I don't know if I've ever told this story on here before, but at Riverfront, Joe Nuxall dropped a beer out of the booth and hit my wife on the head. <laughs> How have you never told that story on here before? And, and he leaned out of the I, This was pre-me. Uh, but he, she tells the story that he leaned out of the booth going, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Classic Nuxie. Yes. That's, oh man, that's wild. <laughs> that is amazing. All right, fellas, what do you say we just dive right into what has been a largely non-Reds centric week through the All-Star festivities. But since we last got together, there were a couple games that we should uh, touch on really quick. The first one was a season series Finale against the New York Yankees. The Reds won a wild one to, in the 10th to take that series. It was Joey Votto with a tie-breaking double, three runs in the 10th. He had two go-ahead hits on the night. Um, Castillo is probably the big story. Seven innings pitched, eight Ks, one on run, only two hits allowed in a potential trade deadline showcase. Um, fun little tidbit, that was only the second or the first time all season they've had back-to-back series wins. I, I, I read that stat. I hope it's not true. I believe it. Yeah, it, it seems like something that would be true about this team. <laughs> I'm honestly trying to remember what the other one was. When, when did they last win back-to-back series? <laughs> I got nothing. 2021. Yeah, so I don't know. It was a lot of fun. I uh, I heard some people in Yankees land talking about it, and they were like, yeah, everyone was just limping into the break. It was an extremely poorly played series. Both teams were just terrible. And I'm like, hold on, guys. I remember it differently. That might have been the most fun I've had all season long. That was a wild series. And I don't know, is that going to end up being the highlight for this season? Man, I, I swear, like, it, it – so I, I do a radio show – based out of Lexington, Kentucky, mostly every week. Um, now that I've got a 17-month-old running around the house, it gets kind of bumped off. And, uh, but the host is a native New Yorker and a lifelong Yankees fan, despite the fact he's now very much ingrained in Reds country and whatnot. So whenever the Reds and the Yankees have anything that goes on parallel to one another, which lately has been kind of rare that they've actually been <laughs> parallel to one another, um, we, we get some, some, some pretty good ribbing in between one another. And I told him, I was like, this is like the playoffs for this this year. It is. It's the closest thing we're going to get to it. And it wasn't just that the Reds were kind of playing like they were on the big stage. It's that those games acted like playoff games. There were lead changes. There were big swings. There were blown leads. Uh, there were extra inning games. There were uh, late inning heroics. There were bullpen implosions. There was Joey Votto with big hits. And there was Luis Castillo on the big stage being – the biggest star among stars that night. And I think that's something that, um, you know, you think back about some of the pitchers in Cincinnati Reds recent history, because it's, it's been a hitting franchise for a century. There's not a whole lot of like significantly large moments pitching wise over the course of of the last hundred years, the modern era of baseball, 120 years or so, Um, you know, that Castillo start stands out. It literally stands out. Um, for how well he pitched, given the circumstances. And I know I think at the time the Yankees had 62 wins, which was tied for the most in franchise history before the All-Star break. And obviously 
The Ulster break moves. It's not a fixed moment in time. But this is the Yankees. This is 27 World mm-hmm. Series championships, and they had the most wins in their franchise history before the All-Star break as the Reds rolled into town, and Castillo put a put a stopper on that. And so, yeah, they might have been coasting in the break a little bit. I know Aaron Judge didn't start one of the games of the series. All that aside for a team that's going many more places than the Reds are this year. But what the Reds had and what they brought to that stadium for that three-game series showed up. And that was really, really cool. It was probably the the the, the best I've, best time I've had being a Reds fan from afar for a three game series uh, all year for sure. And uh, that was really, really cool to watch. I guess to you, obviously, was the, the the beacon of that. Yeah, I don't want to hear this Aaron Judge not playing excuse. We didn't have Aristides Aquino, so that's a wash. Yeah, I mean, after that sweep of the Rays, that was that was a super fun way to uh, kind of put our mark on the AL East. Um, David Bell. Mentioned that it felt like a playoff series. I don't know, Bill. What do you think? Well, the, the only thing I want to I want to comment on is the Castillo start. And, and if you're going to shine, there is no better place to shine than standing on the mound at Yankee Stadium. I mean, let, let's be honest. If there, if there's one stadium that's in folklore baseball history, it's Yankee Stadium. Even though it's the new Yankee Stadium and not the old Yankee Stadium, it's still Yankee Stadium. Yeah. It's it's the icon. I, yeah. And I hate using iconic because that doesn't really mean anything anymore. But if you're going to shine and you do it there, you know, that's pretty damn impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And Castillo seemed to relish it too. He yeah. was doing those twirls and fifths bumps, man. That was, it was fun to watch. And um, unfortunately everybody else got to see it. And I hope, I hope it's not the last time we get to, we can, we'll get into that a little bit later. So that's a little, little teaser for the rest of the episode, but it was fun. It was fun while it lasted. Unfortunately, after that series, they had to go play the stupid Cardinals <laughs> and I don't know if you call it a, a, a sweep. If it's a two-game sweep, they uh, they were outscored by a whole lot of runs. They they truly started lipping towards the All-Star break at that point. Um, Hunter Green walked to Doom Team, had another rough one. Game two, the Reds lost 11-3, another rough outing for Lodolo. I, I shouldn't say another. Lodolo has looked pretty strong. The only other thing I'll say about that is, because I don't want to talk about a two-game sweep with the Cardinals, but India – I think he has a seven-game hitting streak history going. Um, he's showing some real signs of life right now. I, if, if he can continue that through or after the All-Star break and for the next several weeks, that's going to you know be a, a really serious reason to keep watching this team in what's truly the dog days. What do you think, Wick? You ready for some Jonathan India Renaissance? Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, there's nothing about the way that he started this season that 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 gave me any worries that he couldn't find his game again. It just it just took a while, and by the time he got around to it, the Reds in his absence, much like in the absence of the other guys they had to start the season, the season had kind of been a wash. And it's it's you know <clears throat> I don't I don't always try to put myself up. No worries, it's not, I don't always try to put myself in the minds of the baseball players. But if you go out there first week of the season and you know pull your hamstring enough to be gone for over a month, and by the time you get back, they've gone three and twenty three, and suddenly the entire season is just it's not. You know, I, I I always wonder what it takes mentally to kind of get yourself back into the swing of things as much as it does physically, because um, to have that sort of a devastating hole to kind of walk back into, you know, it, it, might, it might take a while to find that competitive spirit. I'm not accusing him of not being a competitive, but when you factor in the physical aspect of it and getting fine tuned into being a full on mental and physical competitor again, it just it, it looked like it just took him a while. And he was um he was struggling. He was straight up struggling for a while. And the last 
couple weeks of what we see from Jonathan India looks like Jonathan India, no doubt about it. And I think that's a big, big thing that, you know, we'll get to second half questions here in a little bit, but how much the Reds can really find out how well he can bounce back and perform for the rest of the 70 plus games for this year. Tyler Stevenson, same way guy who's been banged up between concussions and the thumb, getting those two guys in the lineup every single day and being the backbone of what this roster is at this point. And then knowing where you have to build off from it, is is huge it, that that is the franchise right there is those two guys being able to look like they did at their peaks last year and earlier this year um and india has looked like it so far he, he's looked like he's got the capability of being offensively at least <laughs> the kind of guy that you want to top your order the defense i think is it, it, it's a little rust that's showing and he's made some some frustrating errors and big big moments the last uh, week before the all-star break but um he looks like the guy that we expect him to be and i think that's a big big thing for uh, for the reds going forward yeah i yeah, i couldn't agree more i've definitely said it here a few times i've been pretty concerned because he's he's looked bad he's looked really yeah. bad now i'm there are all kinds of caveats you know lockout plus injuries plus just the general malaise of playing for a team to start a three and 22 that's been out of it since you know opening day but what you said is, is spot on he he looked like jonathan indy again he was flying around he hit you know hitting the leadoff home runs making errors wait sorry no not that far <laughs> now at ops in the eights you know he just he, he looked like that guy that we hope we could pencil in. If we can do that for even just what he did in his rookie year, if we just get that kind of production out of him as as his floor, that's, that's a really good sign for this club going forward. What do you think, Bill? I, I kind of agree with you. I, I, when we talked about this before the season, his so, a sophomore jinx for him was one of the things I talked about. And I, I spent, you know, then he got hurt. He, he didn't start well, then he got hurt. And then he struggled when he got back. And – it's not, I mean, I wasn't hoping for that, but I was starting to go, man, was I right? And then now all of a sudden, you know, that's only been what week, 10 days or two weeks of what, we, what we're seeing here out of India. And you hope that there, that this goes on and on and on. And, but I think Wick made a really good point about, about health. Uh, we've got three guys that, that, that are cornerstones of the future for this team that we have legitimate health concerns about India Stevenson and Lodolo. And all of them have spent, a, you know, a fair amount of time on the injured list in the last two years. And if those guys aren't, you know, playing in 70, 80, 90% of the ball games moving forward, this franchise is in big, bigger trouble than we think it's in now. Yeah. You didn't even touch on uh, Nick Senzel. If he's able to you know, stay on the field and keep playing the way he has been. I, I, I'm still not ready to, to put any stock. In. I, I'm not buying on Nick Senzel yet. I, I, I I will flip flop my opinion as quickly as the one. <laughs> but I, I do want to bring up one other thing that, 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 that kind of back up something that Wick said. You know, when you come back from your, from the injury list and, and the team had gone three and twenty two, and you know, and, and basically you're buried in the standings at this point. Yeah. It, it it can't be the same feeling going to the ballpark every day as it is when you're in a pennant race, or even if you're you know you're above five hundred. The rest of the season is the baton death march. At that point, you're just trying to get through it, no matter how competitive you are. You know, how, how much a professional athlete you are, I would think, you know, you're just trying to get through every day. I, I, now, I may be wrong, you know, maybe the same, you know, competitive feeling, the campaign every day, but I don't see how it could be. And on top of that, I mean, everything that happened over the winter was basically the Reds saying, A, we're being cheap, but also B, we're turning it over to you. You know, we're, we're turning the team mm -hmm. over to you and to get hurt the first week of the season. And to come back and have it be three and twenty-two, like you're—that's that—that's 
it's not your fault getting hurt like that happens, but it's on you. Right. I mean, they, they, you know, whether or not you could have difference enough to make it not three and two is beside the point for, for a guy as competitive as him, you know, that's what he felt. You know, that's what he yeah. felt was that I got hurt and now they're three and 22 and to walk back in and try to figure out how to make something out of the rest of the season is something that I, like I said, I try to put my, my, myself in their shoes a little bit and figure out how to deal with that sometimes. And I don't know what you do in that scenario. Um, I will say, I think when Hunter Green was on the mound against St. Louis, and I might be wrong on this, but I think I was right at the time. Now it's been a week and a half and I can't remember exactly. And I haven't checked. I think there had been one time all season where Hunter Green had pitched. Jonathan Indy was starting at second base and Tyler Stevenson had caught him one time all year. Um, and obviously Indy is, Indian Stevenson's injuries kind of, they, they mirrored each other. They didn't happen at the same time. So right. it's not terribly surprising, but 80 plus games into the season and your number one pitching prospect hasn't had a chance to pitch with your two cornerstones on the field at the same once all year. So, yeah. you know, for, for a year when the Reds wanted to find out what they had in all of their next wave and got rid of so much of their other wave to go to the all-star break and not having a chance to know any of that, like that's it, you're, there's a lot of unknowns out there, and, and hopefully India's yeah. playing well right now. It's giving them one less unknown. Well, there is somebody that has been playing well. I don't know if you noticed. He um, he had a Cincinnati Reds logo on his jersey on Tuesday night. His name is Luis Castillo. Uh, Luis was the Reds' lone rep at the All-Star game. He did get in with one inning, gave, or had two strikeouts. I think he gave up one hit as one inning. Just – Making making all stars look foolish. Um, we don't have a ton to root for. That was something. You can just tell he belongs. I don't know. It's, you guys might be a little more romantic about the all star game than I am. I know Chad certainly is, but it was definitely fun watching him sort of just belong on that field with the best players in the game. I mean, just to, his numbers in the first half, real quick: two point seven seven ERA, a one sixty six ERA plus, which is absurd. I'm a 1.077 whip already at 3.2 wins above replacement. He's just been fantastic. Bill, how much fun has it been watching Luis Castillo this year? It's funny, and, and I think you I think you guys even mentioned this maybe last week. Uh, he ought to take every April off. Just don't don't even have him start pitching until the beginning of May, you know, and because that takes his bad month out of the equation. And then he has numbers that look like this. Uh, my guess is, you know, next year he may be doing it somewhere else. And we'll he talk might also about be picking, pitching in October next year as well, which means <laughs> That's right. take April off and get it back on the back end, right? That's right. But, but you, you mentioned the you mentioned the All Star game, Nate, and, and I, I will tell you, and I don't know when I lost the allure of the All Star game. I mean, when I was much younger. That was a you know must watch in the in the summer you know I, I I can remember being in front of my TV when I especially when I was real young when I was in my early teens uh, the the seventy All Star game seventy one All Star game are, are, are etched in sixty nine seventy and seventy one are etched in my brain uh, bench hit a home run in the sixty nine All Star game and should, almost had two uh, they went and pulled one back over the fence on him I think it was Amos Otis went over and pulled one back over the fence in Washington of course uh, the seventy Otis. Yeah, cause the seventy. You know, the the seventy was the Pete Rose, Ray Fossey, mm-hmm. and seventy one was the home run marathon. They, a, they hit all the home runs up in Detroit uh, in the American League one for the first time in a long time, and those are the three that really ring. But I don't know when I lost the the magic of the All Star game. I don't know if as I got older or if the game changed or what. But I 
I haven't sat down and watched an all-star game in many years. What about you, Wick? Yeah, the all-star game for me has been – it's been – waning in terms of importance for me i don't know if there i've got a couple different theories on that one is i I write about baseball most days these days now the all-star break means it's a break that i don't have to so it's got a little bit less of an allure than it did when i was when i was not writing about it i think um the fact that so many games are on tv these days means that Mm -hmm. there are fewer players that you that you they're only a box score to you you know you could always see what the box score was for years and years and years, but now you can watch him. You can go see exactly how good Mike Trout's been on the West Coast. He, even if you know you don't get a chance to watch him all the time, you can watch him some. Uh, but then also interleague play, like you're you're you've basically coagulated both these leagues. There are fewer unknowns than there used to be, and I think TV and interleague kind of go hand in hand in that regard because um, watching American League players that you didn't have a chance to watch or couldn't watch, uh, and you never had a chance to go see play. Uh, isn't the case anymore. And so mm-hmm. I think now you're seeing a celebration as much as it is a competition, which is fine. I mean, that's, it, it is what it is if you want to treat it like a celebration, but it's not the kind of um, chance to learn something about players that it used to be. And I think it always used to be a showcase where you could learn about guys that you never had a chance to watch beyond just what you read about and what their numbers look like. And so losing that has been, been a little bit frustrating. That said, um, when you've got something specific you're looking to watch for, and for us it was Castillo on the mound, uh, the reaction that Luis Arise had the first time Castillo threw 99 up and away to him, and he walked out of the batter's box, walked around the catcher, and gave Castillo this smirk, and Castillo turned around to walk back the mound, and you could just see him smiling. <laughs> um, that was super, super cool. Um, yeah, I mean, even, even great players, like the greatest of the great players – have peaks, you know, um, and Castillo has been a very good player for a while. It sure looks like he's peaking right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's not. Maybe there's more in there. And we're about <laughs> to see just some, some other team than the Reds get a whole hell of a no, lot more out of it. No. Um, but it we'll looks like in Cincinnati. <laughs> it looks like he's peaking. Maybe it's because he was back in Dodger stadium. Maybe he wants to pitch in Dodger stadium. Maybe, I don't know. Um, maybe it was just the, the, the resonation of how well he, he pitched in a Yankee stadium. I'm not sure, but he's got the kind of confidence going right now that mm-hmm. you see, you see it in individual sport athletes a lot. You see it golfers who have their great year and they just, you can't beat them. Tennis players the same way. Pitchers are kind of in that mold. It's a team sport. I know, but when you're out there on your own, on the mound, the ball is yours and you control everything is to the best of your ability. It looks like he's in grand slam form, uh, so to speak. He's in major yeah. form like like those athletes are. And it's been really, really cool to watch him do that. No doubt about it. Yeah, it's been great. That's exactly right. He he knows that he's got it. Whatever it is, you know, for you know, when you're shooting basketball, it looks like the hoop is three times as big. When you're a hitter and it looks like they're just lobbing softballs. He has got the pitcher version of that going on right now. He is in the zone. Man, I hope he stays in the zone. I hope he stays in the zone in Great American Ballpark. And when he's not in Great American Ballpark, it's because the Reds are on the road. I'm not optimistic. More on that soon. But before we get there, um, something else happened in the baseball world. I don't want to get too too deep into it. You know, Wick, you probably know a lot more about this than I do, so we'll let you uh, kind of take the lead. But the MLB draft did happen um, to much fanfare. The uh, heralded Angels sang, and when they got done, the Reds ended up with Cam Collier with an 18th pick. 
Now there is some reason to be excited be excited about this. Wick, what do you know about Cam Collier? Well, what I know about him is he's a kid who on himself numerous times and done well each time he has. And for um, as far as I'm concerned, when you see that within a player his age, he's probably only supposed to be a high school junior right now, uh, but has taken the junior college route, graduated high school early, gone on to play in the Cape Cod League and the Wood Bat Leagues as well, and has not only held his own but looked every bit the part of a hitter who is already good and is going to mature into a better hitter. That's extremely exciting, and there's a reason why he was basically universally pegged as – a top four or five pick by most every single person who does that uh, uh, that much more than I do, admittedly. And, um, you know, when, when I was trying to kind of pick and choose what to cover for the Reds draft, I breezed right past him. I was like, that's a really good player. No chance he's on the board. So who is going to be on the board for the Reds? Which college player are they going to take at 18 so they can have somebody move fast and be on the same timeline as India and Green and Stevenson and Lodolo and, and who are they to pick at 32? It's a high school guy that they can throw a lot of extra money at. And that's not how it worked out. And when you're picking 18th, um, that's sometimes how it goes. You have to be prepared to be able to go with that alternate route. And they basically said, Cam Collier's too good to pass up here. Who knows what plan they had in place or what they expected to be there. But when a guy like that falls to you, um, it's exciting. You know, lefty swinging guy who's probably going to pack on another 15, 20 pounds, but looks like he's got the ability to stay at third base. Very sweet swing, very good strike zone command. Um, looks like he's got a chance to be a very good professional hitter. And if he can stick at third base, then that's that's the guy who's got five win upside. And when you've got five win upside at 18, you're like, okay, we're doing that. So they did it, and then they backed it up with another high school pick at Sal Stewart, which when you've got those 18 and 32 and you're juggling signing bonuses and everything else, I like the fact that the Reds were aggressive and they didn't factor in signability as much as they say, we're going to go for the guys we've got on our board right now that are the highest and they took them. And so um, on the one hand, it's, it's exciting as can be because I think they got two guys that are very, very projectable players. On the other hand, when you're in the middle of the rebuild and you saw what the Reds did last winter and they got no college bats, no 22 year olds, no 21 year olds that are in theory going to move quickly to kind of pair with what they've got right now. Uh, these are two guys we're not going to see, even if the best case scenario happens, we're not going to see until after we see L.A. De La Cruz, who we still haven't seen hit double-A pitching yet. So it's um, it's certainly a plan for the future. Um, Hunter Green took five years to make it when they drafted him as a 17-year-old. Uh, so we're planning very, very far into the future with, with these picks. But I'm, I'm excited about the talent they got with them, and hopefully it's the kind of talent that you can bank on them in the future. Yeah, that's exactly why I didn't want to. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Bill. Hey, Wick, Bobby Nightingale threw an article up. I don't know if you saw it today on the Enquirer. And I wanted to hit you with a couple things here and see see what your if you got any response to these. He said one of the things he said was, and I don't know who he was quoting. He said the Reds had the were drafted the the fourth best draft, and they picked ten players in Major League Baseball's top two hundred and fifty list. But but one of the other scouts could, said what they most impressed about the Reds was they kept taking prospects, and and that makes me wonder: does that mean that it, it could kind of be a boom or a bust draft? Because because they yeah, were I, high school guys and, and the younger guys. And, and do you think that's the case? I, I think that there has been such a lean towards taking more college players over the last decade, decade and a half by a lot of teams. 
I think the Reds kind of leaned into that and they said, okay, well, if other teams have the strategy of leaving high school players on the board, whether it's for signability concerns or whether it's because uh, NIL deals are now in place in college and there's the ability for colleges to kind of let more money filter to these guys for a couple of years before they come back in the draft. I don't know. I haven't had a chance to find any of that out yet, but I think they lean very heavily into the idea that we've got high school guys on our board higher than a lot of others do for whatever reason it is, if we're not going to jump into the same pattern that a lot of other teams are, which is going with older guys that could move quicker. And they went with the high school kids and I applaud them for doing that. Uh, I also don't know this might also be another one of those instances where we look back at the 2020 decision from Rod Manford to knock 41 minor league teams out. You know, there's no billings anymore. There's no rookie leagues. There's no happy league of that stuff anymore. Mm -hmm. So the idea of parking players younger uh, or further down in the developmental chain might not be something that a lot of other teams are, are really comfortable with. They might have bought into that before Manfred made that decision, and that might be why Manfred made that decision. I don't I don't really quite know, but it certainly looks like the Reds were kind of leading into it and saying, well, we will. We'll find a way to make it work, even if it pushes our timeline a little bit further down the road to deal with them. The, the other thing that, that, that caught my attention in this article is, and I, did, I had never heard of this 180-player cap, which That's I guess was, was, yeah. which was, I guess – the Reds took 15 of their last 18 players were pitchers that they took because they, they said they were worried about getting guys playing time because of the that, that 180 player cap. And I'd never heard that, before, that, that discussed before. Yeah, it's something that I knew, but it's not something that I'd ever like I'd never seen referenced before because 180 just seems like more than enough players, you know. Um, I know Doug Gray has mentioned uh, uh, at times over the last couple of weeks between the thinning of the minor league systems and also due to injuries, which the Reds have had tons of this year, they're literally struggling to find arms in the actual system this year. And so to see them lean into that later on, I think is kind of a, a I don't know if it's a chicken and the egg thing, but um, yeah, I think it's something that they looked up and said, well, we got a lot of guys that we know we can kind of reach for and draft early and they backfilled it with guys that they just need and they need to get signed and get them in the system purely so they can have full teams and full full pitching staffs out there. You, you, yeah, also, yeah. you also wonder if the if pitcher value is going to stay high. Then you're, if you've got all these arms in your in your system, it gives you value to you know, trademark trade possibilities in, in the coming mark years too. Yeah, yeah for sure. it seems like they, they really went with a lot of high upside guys. And if you have that cap on the number of players that you could sign, why take you know one of those spots and give it to your senior from – I don't know, Loyola, Michigan, who projects at best to be a bench player when you can take, you know, a, a pitcher that didn't have the best stats but has, you know, touches 100 miles an hour and the chance to develop a second or third pitch. It just seems like that might be a better way to go. I don't know. We got like. Uh, I was going to say the only other thing that kind of factors into all this, <clears throat> excuse me, I think might be, and it's not something that I know at all, but I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. This is the last year with um, a fixed draft order there's oh, yeah. the the lottery after this year mm -hmm. and because of the new cba in part to, to fix tanking so to speak and so despite the fact that the reds are pretty clearly nosediving to a what would be a automatic top three pick they might not get it next year and they might not get it next year they might end up seventh or eighth and they might end it with uh, a much smaller draft pool next year as a result of it too they're not going to have a guy like Castellanos, where they get a, a compensation pick at 32 either. So, um, you know, there there might have been something of 
an organizational decision to say, well, if we're going to go big and go high school and sign a guy for well down the road, this is our chance to do it because there are no guarantees. That said, they could end up with the number one pick. Even if they have the fifth worst record, they could get the number one pick next year. But there's a lot more uncertainty when it comes to allocating money and trying to target guys next year also. So they might have just said this is our year if we've got the right players in the right spots to swing big, and maybe that's what they chose to do out early. Yeah, I think I speak for all of uh, Reds fandom when I say I hope that they had a plan. I hope that that was their plan going in, and they you know, they executed it. A couple other quick notes on the draft. Um, Cam Collier is the son of former MLB infielder Lou Collier, so we like the pedigree there. Um, they did take in the fifth round catcher Cade Hunter out of Virginia Polytechnic Institute and University. Um, Virginia Tech, Chad will not be pumped about that. So if there's going to be one player in the entire system Chad does not root for, we'll see if that, uh, that, that C logo changes his opinion there. And then one of our awesome Patreon subscribers, Carl Mitz, he asked a question that we'll just go ahead and answer now because you mentioned this guy Sal Stewart, Wick. Carl asked, is Sal Stewart the future at first base? He also asked, how excited we are we about Cam Call? You're following to us, but well, we got to that. But what do you know about this, Sal, Sal Stewart? Uh, Vandy commit, uh, my, my alma mater. I, I know that I'm, uh, I'm I'm excited that he is going to be in the Reds organization, but also Vandy got poached pretty hard in their, um, uh, their potential signees this year because a lot of them got drafted very, very highly. Uh, speaking of which, Cam Collier is a Louisville commit, and since I grew up a Kentucky fan, sorry, Cardinal fans, but I, he's going to be a Red, and that's that's super cool as well. Um, I don't know a whole lot about Sal Stewart. You know, when, when he was picked, um, I think, as I mentioned, I, I figured the Reds were probably going to do kind of what they've done in years past when they've got two very high picks, which is go for a high floor guy that you could sign for potentially under slot and then back it up with a, a high school kid that you're paying to not go to college. Um, much in the the Taylor Trammell, Nick Senzel mold when they did that a couple of years back, um, kind of in the Matt McLean, Jay Allen mold, that sort of draft strategy. Uh, so when they went to high school and then high school again, I always kind of take it aback. So um, Stewart looks like he's got a very solid command of the strike zone. Um, I know he's kind of listed as a third baseman for now, but from everything I've read, it kind of looks like he's going to be a first baseman, which is fine. It's one of the spots in the field. you got to have one. Um, and if the bat plays, the bat plays. So hopefully the bat plays is uh, uh, what I had to say about Sal at this point. Well, I'll tell you the only other thing you might need to know about Sal is that he was co-champion of the high school home run derby in Colorado last year, and he launched one 533 feet. Potentially Altitude. in Wick's backyard. Thin air. Thin air. We're talking thin air. Thin air, metal bat, whatever. The dude hits bombs. And we love bombs in Cincinnati. I moved out here for my golf. I moved out here for my golf game, by the way, because everything goes twenty yards farther. So, um, I, I do have to. I have to. I have to reply to something Wick said, though. There, there is zero chance the Reds get the number one pick in, in next year because that's not the way the Reds' luck works. Never had it. <laughs> Can't get it. Yep. <laughs> maybe, maybe they're due. Um, hey, hey, Nate, I want to. I want to throw something in that wasn't on our list. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Is, whoa, whoa. is last Friday. Last Friday, there was a settlement with Major League Baseball and the minor league players. Uh, and it was quite a big pot of money. I can't remember what it was. But I immediately texted our friend Matt Klinker, who spent a number of years in the, in the minor leagues for the Reds, and asked him if he was going to get a piece of that money. And he said, no. He said, 
they wanted like W-2s and all this stuff. He said, I had, they wanted me to prove that I pitched in the minor leagues. And I went, baseballreference.com. He said, that's what I told him. <laughs> so anyway, that's all I had to say. But our, our friend Matt wanted to send his best and he's not getting any of that money. It doesn't sound like because no, awesome. he, he can't prove he pitched in the minor leagues. Well, Matt, if you want to come on the Riverfront podcast and we can let Rob Manfred hear whatever you need to tell him. I've told him he's welcome anytime he'd like to come on. Absolutely. Um, The only other real news of the week, I guess, is that um, just red super prospect, Ellie De La Cruz, got promoted to Chattanooga. Definitely the guy that I'm most excited about in the system ever since Bird Tenowitz went elsewhere which I'll never be able to pronounce his last name correctly. And shame on you, Nick Crawl, for not getting that guy to Cincinnati. <laughs> Robbie, a.k.a. Bird, a.k.a. Daddy Hex. Just everything I love about baseball. Um, yeah, Ellie De La Cruz, his numbers on the season so far were th- hitting 303, 360, 609 slugging. Um, there were complaints about his K rate. He was striking out way too much, but he even started taking a lot more walks there over the last month or so. We'll see what he does in double-A pitching, but I think that when you have a chance to have a guy who's not only a top 100 guy, but he's got that top 10 guy, that that future face of the franchise potential, I'm stoked to see what he does in Chattanooga and for the rest of the season. Plus, he's hit 20 home runs, and he stole 28 out of 32 bases. As a shortstop. As a shortstop. My only question, he's he's like 6'3 or 6'4". He's a big kid. Six, six five. five. Six yeah. five. You think he can stick at shortstop? I mean, that's what they complained about Frazier. They said Frazier was too big to play shortstop. I, he's I, the, I don't. Kyle Ripken was six four, and mm-hmm. is the greatest shortstop I think I've seen since I've been alive. So uh, I think he's got the ability to do it. As long as he doesn't keep yeah. growing, he's only twenty. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there's yeah. a guy in there's a guy in <laughs> Pittsburgh right now. O'Neill Cruz is, you know, the evolutionary inferior version of L.A. De La Cruz. Yeah. This will be one of those ones where you watch what the rule changes are. Because if he's 6'5 and he fills out a little bit, how much shifting are they going to allow anymore? Like, if you shift enough, you don't have to make those gigantic yeah. runs up the middle anymore. If the glove is good enough, the exchange is good enough, the arm's obviously good enough. If he gets a little bigger and he can't cover all that ground – that's what Corey Seager's been doing with shifts the last couple of years. So maybe, maybe, you know. The Reds' and, and first got, 50-50 guy. And they've got three guys, you know, three top prospects right now at shortstop. So somebody's going to have to move. Yeah. You know, and if you can play shortstop, as we found saw with Billy Hamilton, with Eric Davis, who both came up as shortstop. If you can play shortstop, you can play anywhere on the field. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. I can't imagine he's going to be that much worse than uh, – Red, yeah, Riverfront God, Kyle Farmer. Defensively, he'll don't, never don't, match. The see, stick. now you're just, now you're just did you're just starting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get one dig in for episode. Um, we do have a topic of the week this week, and it is going to be the burning questions for the second half. But there are a couple little things that we can touch on to sort of lead into that. The first one, and we have to talk about it every episode until it happens, is. The trade line or the trade deadline is less than two weeks away on August second. I know that Bill has a question that he wants to get to. What, uh, you know, which Reds do we think are going to be moved? 
I want to know what the lineup's going to look like in September. And that really leads to Wick's latest piece on redreporter.com, where you were just kind of talking about, you know, the return that we get at this deadline is going to say a lot about the, not just the future, you know, speaking generally, but the next year or two specifically, whether the Reds have any intention of winning at all. Wick, do you want to touch on what you wrote this week? Yeah, I, basically what I was kind of – I was walking myself back through every Reds have done during the rebuild they started over the winter. Um, and then the draft, which is obviously the next big step because when you're talking about bringing a prospect influx into your system, big trades in the draft are the two ways you can address that most most directly. And you look up at everything that the Reds did over the winter. Um, the Sunny Gray trade brought in Chase Petty, who's – Drafted last year, just now 19. Good piece. I'm excited to see what he can do, but still years away. Um, Connor Phillips was the kind of the the, the big uh, late name that came in. The Mariners trade is maybe a little bit ahead of, of, of Petty, but not much. He's just now in double A. He's still got a couple years before we expect to see him. Um, and then the Reds drafted, obviously, two high school kids with their first two picks who are going to be guys that – are going to be several years away. Cam Collier, the youngest kid in the draft, is who they took. So when you when you prioritize getting the best player available, that's the overriding sentiment is that's what you should do. And if he's younger and you have to wait on him, that's fine. He's younger and you wait on him. But when you do that over and over and over again, every chance you get, and you start noticing a pattern there, you start looking up and say, look at the AAA lineup right now. Look at the double-A lineup yep. around, around Elite de la Cruz. Um, if you trade Luis Castillo at this deadline, which is something we all expect to happen, who they target and what their return is, are the Reds going to try to find somebody to pair with Tyler Stevenson and Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo, Jonathan India, Graham Ashcraft? Are they going to give those five guys anything or not? Because when you're a team that showed their hand over the winter, not wanting to pay guys, shedding salary, going into a rebuild. Um, you know, even Ellie De La Cruz, who has not taken a bat at double A, even if he is as rapid as we hope he's going to, um, are, are there anybody, is there anybody else that the Reds have been bringing in that's going to be matching with the current group we've got that already seem like the young group at Great American Ballpark or not? You know, I I can be persuaded either way. I'm just trying to figure out how long I should put on my, my, my when I should set my alarm for is kind of the way I'm looking at it because if they trade Castillo for, um, you know, uh, uh, some some single A guys that have a lot of promise and a lot of prospect value and, and talent, cool. But that means they're putting them on the same timeline as Cam Collier and Chase Petty and everybody else, and you've traded in your biggest chips for guys that are four or five years off. And what does that mean for a big league roster that has holes galore? Um, I've got something running tomorrow that's called. Who's going to hit left-handed for the Reds next year? <laughs> Think about it for a second. Gosh. Who's going to hit left-handed for the Reds next year? Joey, Joey Votto's 40. Naquin's gone. Moose has got to be gone. And there's nobody else left. It's Max Schrock and TJ Friedel. Uh, um, so if you're not going to give uh, the existing roster that, and you're not going to spend money to buy those guys, then you've set the timeline for a very talented core, especially if you add – something of value for Luis Castillo to that bunch, but you're setting it down for 2026, 2027. 
Yeah, and that's one thing you said in the piece. You said if they target, you know, A-ballers or just those really, really young prospects, they'll be getting another potent piece who will end up teammates with Petty, Collier, Jay Allen, and the likes. Yeah. And it still, if you look at, they've been doing this for a while. They, they draft prospects. Look who we have now. We have two and a half guys that we can trust and then nobody for a level and a half. So yeah. you have to assume that these young so guys that they're taking, yeah. you have to pray. You have to pray that even they work out. You just said it, Ellie De La Cruz hasn't seen a single double-A pitch. You never know. These these big prospects fade out all the time. Look at the major league roster right now. Brandon Drew is a big prospect. Nick Senzel, big prospect. You just Jose, don't Jose, know. Jose Barrero, not to jump the gun on my first question yeah. in the second half. Jose Barrero, this time last year, was everything we're talking about Ellie De La Cruz right now. You know, yep. he was the, the exact same guy at a handmade injury, which he'll get over, but it takes a while. And all of a sudden we've forgotten he's even a part of this. When Baseball America, when they did their updated rankings, they were the one service that considered him a prospect still and ranked him higher than everybody else who's already made their debut this year. And now he's in AAA with a OPS that starts with six. And we're, we don't know whether he's going to play shortstop anymore or all that stuff. It's, you know, when you, when you bank on things that are that far away, you like to pull all your resources. I get it. You want to have enough of a, a roster coming and maturing at the same time where you've got a wave. It worked with Jay Bruce and Joey Votto and Johnny Cueto and Homer Bailey. You like having that all come together at the same time. But when you're pushing the things that far down the road, you have to start wondering if somebody calls about Jonathan India at the trade deadline this year, it bowls you over with somebody who's 1920. <laughs> like, you know, where, where are we planning for is basically what I was right. trying to ask there. The, 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 yeah. only, the only problem with that thinking is, and and and, uh, I, and I, this is something Chad says all the time, and I agree. There's no such thing as a prospect at a ball. Yeah, you know, because they burn out, they get hurt, they you know for whatever. Till they hit, till they start putting up numbers at double A. Yeah, I'm not a believer yet. So I mean, if this team is trying to, to build for the future and, and doing it at, at a ball, I plus the fact the the, conf, the, the amazing amount of confidence that we have in this front office. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to put actually put together and institute a plan. Yeah, it's um, it's it's kind of a, a scary time for a Reds fan right now. The return on the likely Luis Castillo trade is going to answer a lot of these questions, and either we're going to be able to get excited about a couple pieces that are close, maybe major league ready already, or it's going to send us into a downward spiral. I would like to say we're not used to, but we're super used to it because we're Reds fans. So maybe we'll just brush it off. The the other thing I'll add to this, which is kind of a parallel to it, is that for the the longest time, the Reds committed to their homegrown players with extensions. And so you knew at least one or two guys they were going to have to build around. And they haven't done it for two plus years now. Right. So there's been that's why Castillo and Mally are trade chips. They they dumped Jesse Winker before committing to him. Um Jonathan India. He didn't get the Ozzy Albies deal. He didn't even get the Ronald Acuna deal. Neither did Tyler Stevenson. So even the young players right now that the Reds have not committed to, um, there's nobody on the books other than Votto and Moose at all. And they're off after next year. So it's um, it's an interesting time because between knowing that they don't want to pay anybody and that they're shedding salaries that they already committed to pay to other people and that they're planning that far down the road, it's like, okay, well, the, what, what what are we building around here? And is there anything we're actually watching that they're building around, you know? Do you think that with no money on the books makes the team easier to sell? 
<laughs> or do you think it doesn't matter? <laughs> I don't think anybody's touching this asset until Moustakis is off the roster. <laughs> Joey Votto's going to get the last dollar he's owed and then have enough money to be the principal buyer of a new ownership group. <laughs> I, 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 saw, I saw something today online, and I, and I don't know that the number I'm going to say here is right, but I read today somewhere that Ken Griffey Jr. is, and I think the number was ninth highest paid player on this team. I think it might have been higher than ninth, but yeah, it's not the same thing. <laughs> I feel like Bronson Arroyo is like the ninth highest paid player on the team right now. Griffey might Bring be like sixth. <laughs> Well, this uh, this conversation kind of just allows us to jump right into my first uh, my first question. The topic, the topic being the burning questions for the second half of the season, and my number one was, what's the lineup going to look like in, in September? You know, we've got a few, th- you know, a pretty good idea of a few of these positions: Tyler Stevenson at catcher, uh, Joseph Daniel Vado at first base, India at second. I put Drury at third because I'm I'm putting my hopeful lineup. I would love to see the Reds offer him something short and sweet. Say, hey man, you've been wanting a payday for a long time. Here's ten, twelve million dollars for two or three years. Just stay in this nice small ballpark, ballpark, and get your get your retirement plan. Um, shortstop, Reds color glasses. Jose Barrero, you know, Kyle Farmer. We're gonna miss him, but he's gonna get traded to. You know, a team that will then be the front runners for the World Series. Um, but it gets a little dodgy after that. We've got Sinzel in center field if he keeps playing well. Naquin could be here or not. Left field, I mean, it is just – go look at that Louisville roster. I mean, are you going to plug Lejo Lopez in a third base or something and put Drury out in the outfield? It's going to be got some, one of those Schrock, Friedel, Fraley types. I don't know. So if they're going to trade Luis Castillo, I think it needs to be somebody that by the by September the Reds can bring up and put into one of those one or both of those corner outfield spots. That's the only return I'm going to be happy with. And, and if I can put an, a, an amendment onto your or an, a, onto your question, when when they trade Castillo and maybe Molly and Green Green innings out, who in the hell is going to be pitching for this team? And it, it might matter. Every day. Is, is, is he going to do the old Tony Kloniger thing? He's going to pitch every set, every third day? I mean, I'm we've got – I have no idea who will be starting for this team. I mean, Hall, I assume Hoffman is probably going to end up with five or six starts for this team late. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know who else. You know, Where are you going to go? <laughs> yeah, where are you going to go, baby? You know, assuming hope, hopefully Lodolo stays healthy and, you know, and he should be able to finish out the year, I would think, and not get over his inning limit. But I, I don't know what, you know, I don't know if Ashcraft will hit. I would assume he'll hit an inning limit at some point. Um, I, I don't know. You know, they may be running a lottery and pulling people out of the stands to start ball games. you know. See if, yeah. see if Justin Dunn's shoulder actually holds up well enough to get some innings on him. Uh, but, yeah, it's <laughs> – I tried so hard to forget about the Reds bullpen. You said Jeff Hoffman started. I was like, oh, right, they've got Jeff Hoffman. That's... <laughs> Forgot about that Jeffrey. part. Uh, yeah, no, it's – it's. I mean, what you said about Brandon Drury is actually kind of how I feel about Tyler Naquin. Um, yeah. Because as I started thinking, who the hell is going to hit – Who's the? who are the lefty hitters right now in the mm-hmm. franchise? Like, Taylor Cruz is a switch hitter, hasn't taken a double-A at bat yet, and, like, that's the next – left-handed bat that's like yeah. potentially on the way. Um, so Naquin, like if you go at him with, you know, a two, three year deal at, at, you know, the 
God, I had somebody, I had a reference point of mine I was trying to think of, uh, Jorge Polanco. You come in with, with that or the Eduardo Escobar deal where you're getting like two years, 12 million, something like that, and just get them under contract and say, hey, hit right hit pitching for us in the next two years because somebody has to. Um, yeah, I, you know, there's, it's, it's going to be a, a scrap heap, which is unfortunate, but it's kind of what they've backed themselves into at this point. And I don't know how else they're going to kind of manage to put it out there. Um, you know, and what they do with Barrero is the, the, the kind of the linchpin in that, whether or not he hits well enough for AAA to say, yeah, let's throw him out in, in, in major league uh, chances again and see if he's got it this year, which, you know, while we haven't seen enough of him this year to say that that's, that's ready to happen. But aside from that, there's just not a whole lot to turn to at this point. Yeah, and that leads us right into one of your burning questions. Uh, Jose Barrero, what are we going to see from him for the rest of the season? He's been struggling since he got back from that handmade injury. Um, you know, those those are known to sack your power a little bit, but he's not going to make contact. The defense has still been great. I, I think he projects as an, uh, a very above-average defender at least. I am really, really hoping that we can uh, you know, see him kind of figure it out. And at this point – they should just bring him up anyway, in my opinion. I mean, how much better is it for him mentally to struggle down there versus up here? Yeah. I don't know. But I think that that's one of the biggest questions. And it actually you know, it, it can solve a lot of problems down the road for the Reds because we need an outfielder, right? Well, we've got some good shortstop prospects down there. Barrero could be that guy. We can move Sinzel around. Um, I am just sending everything I have up to uh, whichever God we all pray for, pray to, that – Jose Barrero figures out what, uh, what's been missing and he's a big part of this going forward. Yeah. He's a huge, huge part of it. And you throw him into the mix with the the other guys that I mentioned that are kind of being left out to dry by going super, super young with all the other uh, transactions the Reds have gone with. If he comes up and shows that he's that guy that baseball America thought was higher ranked than Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo, suddenly you've got a piece that, you can help build around and that might tweak a little bit of what the reds think they can do, whether it's in free agency this winter, God forbid, or whether it's uh, if they hold on to Tyler Malley to pitch for the last half of the season, because somebody's got to and move him this winter, you move him this winter for a guy who's a big league ready piece and, and back for the accordingly. If you've got Barrero as a guy who, you know, could be if well, between he and Kyle Farmer, if you're going to keep Kyle Farmer, if you've got shortstop and third base taken care of or shortstop and center field taken care of, or shortstop and right field taken care of if Nick sure. Sinzel continues to play well. If you've got two of those spots taken care of with Farmer and Barrero, then you're a little bit more onto something than you otherwise would be. But yeah, Barrero, I think is honestly, you know, for as much as we talked about India and Stevenson earlier not being on the field together, Barrero is the biggest wild card in this because he's had limited opportunities before at the big league level and not taken them. Um, in theory, you would think a team that is so far out of it and has given away their entire roster at the deadline. Here's 70 games. Show us what you got would be the perfect scenario for him at the big mm-hmm. level. Um, I'm do they, when do they start it? You know, do they wait till they trade Brandon Drury or whoever and bring them up then um, there are holes all over the field right now. You don't have to trade those guys to give Josie Burrow at bats. Um, but I think getting him in the lineup seven days a week, wherever you get him in the lineup at, is the big kind of nebulous question out there because if he's as good as you hope he is and a guy you invested $12 million in the sign, you want to find out. And I think uh, hopefully he's going to stay healthy enough to, to find out and show them something. Is that something? We'll the Reds, I can't remember the Reds organization ever doing that though, bringing a young guy up and just throwing him out there. Maybe India. 
I guess you can make the case that maybe India. Uh, but before that, I can't remember Jay Bruce, maybe. But he was he was but he was but he was burning up, you know, the minor league triple yeah, A when he was got pulled up. Well, who Bill, your your number one question was who do we really think the Reds will move? So what what spots do we think are gonna be open once this trade deadline has come and gone? I mean, we all think Castillo is probably gone. I'm still hoping not. I love the idea of a rotation that just keeps those guys because we do still I think, need I think Drury's gone. Pitchers. I think, the, I think the a lot of talks about that, 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 that somebody will make them an offer for Drury that they'll, they'll jump on. Yeah, I think that there has to be some team that's interested in, uh, at least at the very least, oh, the amount yeah. of money they're going to have to pay him. Yeah. To go play much positions. Play. He plays too many positions, and it he's, he's for three hundred grand for the rest of the year. Somebody's right, gonna, yeah. somebody's gonna take him. Yeah. Who else? Wait, do you have anybody else that you think? Uh... I think Naquin's gone. I really do. I mean, he's he's making three and a half million bucks this year. I think they'll they'll trade him. They'll they'll get the money off the books mm-hmm. and get what they can get for him and move on. Because you know, as much as I said, I think it'd be great if you give Tyler Naquin a couple of year deal. If you're not giving anybody deals, why give Tyler Naked one? It doesn't get you any closer to being anywhere out of this hole. So right. if you if you read the tea leaves and I, I don't see why you keep him and get rid of everybody else you got rid of. So I think you have to because somebody will want him. He can crush right into pitching and he's played in both the AL and the NL. He's a known quantity, former first round pick. Like he's got all the boxes that get ticked for going to be a platoon outfielder in uh, an organization that had an injury or that needs somebody who can hit running pitching. And we'll be that. And I think somebody will, I I think the Reds at this point will say, we'll take whatever you give us to get a million and a half bucks off as we continue our reset and he'll be gone. Um, Beyond that, I like Luis Sessa was a guy who I thought maybe, but he has kind of pitched his way out of that. Um, I just, he's injured and he's injured. Like I don't, I don't, I don't see a whole lot of other yeah, fam. I, I don't see anybody wanting fam. Yeah, go think, on that, Bill. I think that was that was going to be the guy that I wanted somebody to bring up. Do you think anybody's going to take him, Bill? I I don't. I he's, you know he's not playing that well. Uh, he's not making a ton a ton of money, but he you know he's more money than his production value is. I wonder I, since he's been if he can. I mean, this is if he plays well for the next week or so. I wonder if somebody'd make a flyer on Senzel. And I wonder how how invested the Reds would be in him. Yeah, I mean he'll be he's a super two. He's going to be Arb again next year, and if he continues to at least what, stay healthy, what is he? Twenty seven. Twenty seven. Yeah. You can't sell that low, can you? Because you'd be selling low. <laughs> They've Let sold low on Sonny Gray. Sinzel, like that's that's one of those ones where with the Reds more than probably any other team in baseball, and I say that without following any of them as closely as I follow the Reds. This ownership group spent six million bucks to sign him in the draft. Like I think they like they they don't view sunk costs very well. They really, really don't. Um, you know, we we watch them give away you know as far as because they could like they they were willing to get money off the books as quickly as they possibly could that they didn't have to already commit that they committed that much money to him and still he's been injured i i would i mean if you get the right deal like i would not be against it by any means but right. i just i'd be i think they'd be very very reticent to to, to, to say yeah i hope, you're, I hope, I hope well, he continues to play well and i hope you're right i i, I yeah. just have i know 
I've gotten to the point in my life where I have no faith in the Reds front office doing the right thing. <laughs> likewise, man, likewise. Well, this was another one of Wick's burning questions, and I think that it is maybe even the biggest outside of the trade deadline. We haven't seen Nick Senzel play well in a Reds uniform since he made his major league debut, not for any extended period of time. Until now. Um, I don't have the numbers pulled up in front of me, but for the last month, he has been playing very, very good baseball. It was just contact at first, and then he started getting some of the power back those last couple weeks. Um, he can't run the bases, but we'll figure that out. That's some off-season stuff. Get more time on base. Get it sorted. Whether or not he can stay, can stay hot is – we talked about – in the offseason, like what will it take for this this team to be competitive? Well, not starting three and twenty-two would have been a good start. <laughs> but one of the common themes was that if Nick Sinzel can play hard to please. <laughs> <laughs> if Nick Sinzel could play anywhere close to above average baseball, then this team could have a chance because it's just like signing that big free agent, you know. I I'm here for it. Chad wrote him off. A lot of people wrote him off. I am going to just stay good vibes only for the Nixon Zell show. Don't you hold your breath though every time he falls down? I mean, yeah. I do. I in the middle of this hitting streak, he had he had, he had to take a day off because he got a tight back. And I just and I'm hope going, that okay, when he falls for a week, Mike Mustakis is there to cushion his fall. So he's played in 39 games since the start of June 1st. And I have to keep like the optimist in me keeps saying he's never played 39 games in six weeks before. So the fact that he's played that often and the hits are coming makes me think that if he just could stay healthy, the hits would come. So it's like, like, (laughs) it's not that he's been bad. It's that he hadn't been healthy enough to ever get in a rhythm before. And then it's just, you look at the Mm -hmm. the season, he's got crap stats because he couldn't stay healthy for more than a week at a time. Playing 39 games in six weeks to me is like that's the that's the number is yeah. playing 39 games in six weeks. And then then you look at the production. I had it in a tab that accidentally closed. I think he said 303 with a 363 on base percentage in those 39 games, which it's 39 games. It's not 390. Um, I think he slugged like 370 in those games. So it's it's not exactly the modern profile of um, an everyday hitter, but it's him hitting. And if this is what we can expect, even if you would expect the slugging to kind of come up a little bit, is he a guy who can get you a 350 on base percentage and slug 410? If you can do that and you can play center field as well as he's kind of shown he can play, he's a guy who I think still has a future as not potentially the groundbreaking superstar we hoped for when he was drafted second overall, but that's a useful player that's going to be worth his arbitration salary, especially when you look at what's on the farm system right now and who you'd be replacing him with. Um, I, I, I want to stay optimistic with him in this regard. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's Babbitt-fueled for sure. Um, he's getting a lot of hits that are going through the infield, which in modern days is not easy to do. But the fact that he's doing it going the opposite way a bunch and hitting against the shift and kind of being unshiftable, and he's not striking out above league average rate either. So it's not like it's whatever he puts the ball in play, he's getting lucky. He puts the ball in play more than other people are over that stretch. I can see some light at the end of the tunnel there. And so I'm, I'm hoping that more than anything else, that 39 games in six weeks becomes, he gets to play the next 70 plus games for the rest of this year. And we'll look at the numbers at the end of it. Cause I think if he does, 
you'll get a chance to see a guy who warrants being part of the big league roster going forward. And so I just hope he stays healthy. I just, I hope we all get a chance to see at least for his sake, what he can do, even if it's not MVP caliber, if it's just Nick Senzel caliber and he gets to do it for every day and you pencil him in, I think he'll be a player that will be a good enough player to be a big league player. And I hope, I hope that for him as much as I hope it for the Reds record by the end of the year. Yeah. yeah, The the numbers you're talking about would be, I mean, he'd slide right into like the two slot. Yeah, it'd be great. Mm-hmm. It'd be a great two hitter, uh, with great defense. Uh, but I just it's he scares me to death because I feel like he's made out of glass. Yep. I mean, I, and I hope the kids just had bad luck and maybe he's gone through his bad luck and now he's going to be healthy. I, and I, I hope that for him. Yeah, I think that that's spot on. And Nixon's there for the rest of the season, and then the uh, the young arms and the rotation are going to really decide how much fun we get to have for the rest of this season. If we can see quality starts, health, a handful of strong outings, pitching later in games with more efficiency, maybe even a Brandon Williamson, Justin Dunn siding or two. I think seeing how these young arms develop along with, you know, Jonathan Indy get back on track, Tyler Stevenson just continuing to be my favorite young player in all of baseball. And if we get Joey Votto on a classic Joey heater, then we have a chance to have some fun, which leads us into the most Bill Lack question of all Bill Lack questions, his final um, second half burning question. How empty will Great American Ballpark be by September <laughs> if the team sells? I mean, they're, they're by the team they're selling, they're... do you mean sell the team Bob? No. <laughs> I mean, moving the players that we've just talked about moving. If they may, if they trade three or four guys off this twenty-five man roster right now, and and we're already we're already saying that we're not sure who in the heck's going to be in the starting rotation in, in September yeah. anyway. I, well, for one thing, their attendance numbers are, are are pushed up by season ticket sales, which I don't know anybody that knows what that number is. I would bet their season ticket sales are ten or eleven thousand. So, which means above that, they're probably they're drawing an average of three or four thousand people a night. Other than the tickets that they're already counting, they won't be at twelve by September. I don't think. They did offer me. They did offer me a buy one get one free for my birthday, though. <laughs> so, if you get a buy one get one free, you pay for it. Is Chad able to go then since he would not be? I don't know how he would feel. I don't know how he'd feel about that. Maybe if I threw in a micro brew at the bar (laughs) down there, then on, you know, field level, he he might, you know. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a long rest of the summer for us Reds fans, but we've got enough young guys that are exciting. I think to keep watching. Um, If only they would have brought up bird tenements. That's all I know. But guys, we are an hour and seven minutes into this, and we have not even gotten into the viewer mail questions left yet. So let's run through these real quick. In typical typical Riverfront fashion, we are way over our time limit. Our first question is – go ahead. This is always up. my fault. We're always over because of me, Chad. That's at least I'm Chad always <laughs> I knew going into it, I was like, Bill and Wick are on, on tonight. We are gonna, we're going to be talking for a while. Yep. I'm here for it. Chad can listen wherever he is enjoying life while the rest of us are back here and 
America. Toting that bar and lifting that bale. As always, these viewer mail questions come from our members of our Patreon family. That is patreon.com slash riverfrontcincy. Go there, join it. You know, we have a great time. We get together, you know, at least once a month, watch a few innings of a ball game. There's Slack channels where we're constantly chatting. There's other random perks that, you know, you have to be a weirdo like the rest of us to actually enjoy. But we love it. We have a good time. And if you'd like to join it, just go there, sign up, and, yeah, hang out with the fam. The first question comes from Kyle Kaplan. Kyle says, with Ian Jabot getting high leverage work from this bullpen, can we start calling the relievers from this bullpen the G-Bros? Also, first off, yes. I will do that immediately. No. Bill, maybe not. I am in. The G-Bros, it is. Also, thoughts on Alexis Diaz, Lucas Sims, and possibly TJ Antone led bullpen next season. Wick, you go first. What do you think? I, I think the last part is actually – there's some legs to that. You know, if TJ Antone comes back from his second Tommy John surgery, not his first, and is anything close to what he was when he broke in, um, he's the best reliever the Reds have. He's one of the best arms the Reds have. Um, Lucas Sims has consistently shown himself to be a big league reliever, which is more than we can say about most of the rest of the Cincinnati Reds bullpen at this point in time. And Diaz, obviously, is a guy who I think has great, great talent. So, yeah, that's – that's the makings of a legitimate bullpen down there. So I'm, I'm excited thinking about that. Uh, if you're TJ Antone, um, a, I hope you're doing incredibly well in your recovery. B, you could not have picked a better year to take off than, than <laughs> this one. So your timing was impeccable. Um, Lucas Sims, same thing. You know, and you, you got to have surgery and rehab. This is the year to do it. So, uh, but no, I think there's there's some arm talent down there. I'll I'll I'll, I'll give that credit. And you know. I don't think not having Anton and Sims is not where the Reds are not where they hoped to be this year, but that's that's some good arm talent to look forward to next year if they come back where if they come back right. Yeah, we'd be super pumped to have those guys, but you know, also forgive me for not getting too pumped up about a rookie and two guys that are having injury problems. You gotta have a lead to want to have your bullpen on the mound in the first place. So you know it's <laughs> yeah. That is an unfortunately good point. Well, and, and this front office has a really good track record with building a bullpen. Yeah. Our next question comes from Clay Christian. How important is the manager in today's MLB? Is the manager as important as it used to be? What, in your opinion, makes a good manager? And if you could have anyone in their prime manage the Reds right now, who would it be? First off, Clay, that's like four questions. That is cheating. But I'll pretend it was one long run on. Bill, what do you think about this? You've watched baseball think, for a long time. I think the manager's job has changed. I think he's more of an HR director now than he is a baseball manager. I think you're you're having to deal with a lot more ego, a lot more personality and stuff than you used to back in the you know the, the years many years ago. I think now you know with analytics and everything, uh, I think you're, you're more of op, you're more managing out of a book during the game. Um, but it's what you're doing in the clubhouse and how you're dealing with your team is how the 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 job has changed. But whether it's more or less important than it used to be, I just think it's different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's so much of a, of a front end job now. You know, your the manager's job is so much heavier before the first pitch is ever thrown in the game than it ever is during the nine innings, especially now with the designator in the National League as well. You're not even getting the double switches that you used to get in NL, which gave. You know, managers a little bit more to do than their AL counterparts. So yeah, I agree. It's 
still a busy job for sure. In the HR aspect, I think you nailed that on the head. But uh, I think there is a lot of it's quote unquote in-game stuff they do before the game starts, and the decisions make themselves as a result. And there's a lot less gut that goes into it the way it used to. Yeah, spot on. Quickly, if you could choose one guy, one manager throughout Major League history to be in their prime and managing the Reds right now, assuming the Reds were competitive and there was a reason to have a good manager, who would it be, Bill? I'd pick Vern Rapp because I didn't like him, and I'd give him to this team. That's <laughs> insane. <laughs> managing managing this roster or managing your dream roster? Because yeah, yeah. you know? that's right. That's a whole different question. Oh God, managing man. a good Reds team. Who's been oh, who's, good, who's, good Reds team? It's hard to argue against Sparky Anderson. Yeah, it's hard not to argue with Sparky. I I grew up with Lou. Like I I, I would be hard pressed mm-hmm. not to say Lou. And I like a good you know, for, I like a good base chuck every now and then too. And it, you don't see that as much as you used to. So why not? That's a good point. A little surprised nobody said Tony Larusa, but those are all good choices. <laughs> I like my. I think Vern Rapp was the best answer though. I think that even Vernon Rapp doesn't deserve this, Bill. (laughs) Our next question comes from Seth Shainer. Seth asks, Seth says, I often view the scheduled day off, scheduled day off the day after opening day as one of the worst days of the year. We wait six months for baseball, get it for a day, and then no baseball. The few days after the All-Star game can feel very comparable. Do you have similar feelings, and does the dread of selling off everything from Luis Castillo to Rosie Reds Pearls make this year a little different as the Reds head towards the deadline? Personally, I agree. I've always thought that the uh, the day or two after the All-Star game are just the most boring days of the year. There's just nothing on the sports calendar. Yeah. I mean, middle of the week, so it's not a golf tournament. It, NBA, we already passed the you know everything important, the playoffs, the draft, everything. NFL's not quite kicking into gear yet. It is just rough. For yeah, you might find some now. soccer around some. You might find some soccer around somewhere if you scrambled, but that's about it. And, and, and that's where it's different than the day of, day after opening day. You know, then you can find an NBA game or an NHL game or something like that. The day after like, opening day, the Reds might be one and zero, and there could still be some optimism. So then like you, it's, it's, you want to stop the season? Stop the season. We're one and zero. Sorry, wait, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, instead of trying to lump the draft in on top of the home run derby and the all-star game, it sounds like today and or yesterday and today would have been the perfect time to have the draft. So I don't know why they don't do that going forward. If they're insisted upon having it coincide with the all-star break, let the home run derby and the all-star game have their days. And then we have the first round of the draft the next day. Although, and that means a lot of front office personnel don't get the break uh, that they would otherwise want to have. So maybe that's why we don't see that. <laughs> when was the Futures game? Was that Sunday or was that Monday? I think that was Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, because that Sunday. That's another game. That's another game they could use to fill one of those days. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It seems like it seems like they don't even want to have the Futures game anymore. They they couldn't do less to promote it, but right. they yeah. it, it's something I think a lot innings. of people would want to watch. Yeah, yeah. It, it Crazy. sounds like you're telling me that Rob Manfred's uh, Major League Baseball is not good at marketing its players. Since this is <laughs> well, it'd be nice. If, it'd be nice if you had a commissioner that actually liked baseball. That'd be a, that'd be yeah. a perk. That should be your first thing to check off on, on the on the resume. But you know, what what do I know? <laughs> Seth Shainer also said something. Uh, wasn't so much a question, but it was, I thought it was worth bringing up. 
He said, oh, and I see that a local radio guy has chosen to bring up the idea of switching the baseball season to a split season to keep interest up in the second half. Doesn't he realize that Cincinnati is the last place to try to peddle such <laughs> concepts? Hello, best record in baseball. Uh, Seth is, of course, talking about the 1981 team that, uh, because of a work stoppage in June, they were a half game behind L.A. in the first half and a game and a half behind Houston in the second half. They did choose to go with the uh, winners of the two halves to compete in the championship series, and the Reds, despite having the best record in the National League, did not make the playoffs. So, terrible idea. We will not support it in Cincinnati. Next up, Rich Thompson says, I feel that it is safe to say that the season so far has been a bit of a disappointment. Rich, that's the nicest way you could have said that. You're just a sweetheart of a man, and we appreciate you. However, I feel that there have been some highlights and that there are a few things to be optimistic about. For me, they are one, Joey Votto's mic-up game. Firmly agree. Number two, some great pitching performances from the starters, and three, the potential of the young starting pitching and some talent in Reds minor leagues, including the recent draft. What are some of yours? Quick, what do you got to be optimistic about right now, buddy? Uh, <laughs> Next question. Okay. <laughs> I am optimistic that the second half of the season will feature better health than the first half, put it that way. So I'm, I had chalked up this year to being a year where the Reds don't make the playoffs and embarrass themselves more often than not. I just hope they were going to do it with all the pieces that were supposed to be there playing together. And if they can at least give me that for the second half of the season, I will tune in every night and watch. It's that that, that viral tweet that talks about Mike Trout hitting 17 home runs and Shohei Otani doing the first thing since Tungsten O'Doyle in 1921 as the Angels <laughs> lose 8-3. to three. If at least we can get the pieces that are going to be here beyond this year, playing every night and playing well, I don't care if they lose 13-6 to because the bullpen gives up 17 runs, whatever. Uh, I'll be optimistic and say that's fine. Give me Jonathan India, Tyler Stevenson playing every day. Give me Jose Barrero up, and I will be optimistic about watching those guys hopefully mature into what the Reds are going to be next year. How about that? Could not have said it better myself. Bill? Mine for the second half is, is watching Tyler Stevenson mature yeah. and become the, the, the hitter on this team. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. Um, gosh, I love that guy so much. I'm only going to add one thing, and that is, I'm excited for a 10-game Joey Votto home run streak. That is definitely coming. Hopefully, middle of September when we had no other reason to watch games. Our last question of the night comes from Joey Gaditza, our friend from Canada. He says, "Hey guys, where does Juan Soto end up?" Well, non-Reds question to end the evening. Um, Short answer without wanting to think too much about it because it gets depressing when I imagine other teams spending big money for awesome players. One of the big boys, um, Dodgers, Yankees perhaps. I don't even know about that. We know the Phillies like to spend money. I don't know. You guys got any theories? Can you imagine being at a point in your life where you could turn down $440 million? <laughs> I mean, I don't begrudge the guy doing whatever he wants to do, but somebody put a contract in front of me for $440 million. I couldn't get my signature on it fast enough. I'd, I'd, I'd sell my brothers. <laughs> you wouldn't get, 
I only know one of them, but you wouldn't get four hundred and forty million for them. They, they're tall, strapping young gentlemen, and they are great workers. They will forgive me. They'll understand. I'm going to go uh, on a limb here and say Jerry Depoto and the Seattle Mariners are going to be a club Ooh. that lands Juan Soto. Washington is going to send him as far away as they possibly can to the West Coast to the American League, and Seattle's got the payroll to be able to absorb what it's going to cost to pay them. They've got Julio Rodriguez and Rodriguez and Soto next to each other is the future of that franchise. Wow. And I think they actually, I mean, finding a farm system that's good enough to give up for a guy like Juan Soto is, you know, it's hard to do with any franchise out there, but I think Seattle's got enough depth there that they could probably pull it off. And it might even involve sending Jesse Winker back to the nationals Poor Jesse. Um, I'm going to say Seattle good Mariners. Red, yeah, he does. I'm going to say Seattle Mariners are where he ends up. And I mean, that's going to take that. That's going to take them out of the Luis Castillo sweepstakes if it happens there in the next two weeks. But um, yeah, I'm going to say the Mariners. I have heard a theory being tossed about, and it terrifies me to be quite honest. And it makes a lot of sense. A team that has the assets, both young and MLB ready. And they happened to be playing in St. Louis. Yeah. God, I tweeted about that and it blew up more than I wanted it to. And I hate myself for it, but yeah, I, 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 I had the same exact initial reaction and it just terrifies me. They've got the pieces. The fact that Juan Soto is only 23 years old is still probably the craziest stat to me. Oh, yeah. like, we're pumped up about Ellie De La Cruz, who's 20. Think about Juan Soto is only three years older than him. And is he's, the same age, he's the same age as Jose Barrero, isn't he? And we're talking about Barrero coming up yeah. and like showing us what he's got. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. Well, let's just all band together and pray that he does not end up in St. Louis. I'm good and depressed now. We can sign off. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> so, some, 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 some self-promotion here. I had to dig it out, but I said if there's – five days ago, I said if there's one thing fans of the Cincinnati Reds can be sure of, it's that Juan Soto will end up on the St. Louis Cardinals. So. <laughs> <laughs> 180 jerks out there chose to like that tweet, but it's something I think we're all pretty much pretty much fearing. I'm glad right I didn't now. see it because I would have said bad words. I know, right? I said bad <laughs> words while typing it. You know, it's uh, the whole tweet uh, was bad words. Uh, well, unfortunately or fortunately, we'll see what happens. Um, this comes out on a Friday. The Reds will be playing those same St. Louis Cardinals three games in Cincinnati. We've got our uh, two of our three young arms on the bump in Ashcraft and Tyler Malley. Is off the DL and healthy, IL, IR, whatever they call it these days. There's also a Mike Miner appearance in there, so get excited about that, Cincinnati, coming your way. Adam Wainwright is starting for the Cardinals tomorrow, I believe, and Joey Votto has done more damage against him than any other pitcher. Maybe the side of Kyle Hendricks in his entire career. So if Talk ever there dirty was dirty to me. I mean, we I, I've been trying so hard to ignore the fact that Votto had a terrible first half of the season, but if ever he was going to get started on another epic second half, could not ask for a better script to show up on Friday and just beat the hell out of Wainwright for four or five plate appearances and, and kick off a epic, epic 10 game home run streak. Like you said, let's go pump it right into my veins guys. This has been a blast. It's also been, it's been sad. It's been funny. It's been exciting been at times. It's been riveting. It has been long. Bill, that's, that's, any- that's, that's the Cincinnati Reds, isn't it? <laughs> that's right. Peaks and valleys. Bill, do you have any parting words before we take off? Nah, we're out. <laughs> Wick, please shout out all of your uh, your social media stuff. Oh, where can, where yeah. can everybody find you? 
Follow, follow us at Red Reporter, at Red Reporter on Twitter. You can find us at redreporter.com where we've been waiting for more chaos. We always do better at redreporter.com when there is more chaos. Um, the next two weeks, I think, are going to be pretty, pretty chaotic. Kind of a follow-up with the way the entire winter went. But at the same point in time, that means there's going to be promise of the future that's going to come back into the Reds, which is what they bank on us to believe in. So we'll be following that. So check us out, and uh, hopefully we'll be optimistic like we always are, always have been. God, it's been 30 years, still optimistic. <laughs> I love it. And we, we never recommend people get on Twitter, but if you are going to be on Twitter, please go follow Wick and uh, at Red Reporter <laughs> and at Wick Terrell. He is hilarious. Sometimes he doesn't tweet things about Juan Soto going to the Cardinals. We'll forgive him for that one transgression. Oh, God. We appreciate it. And, guys, if you could be so kind – Please go to youtube.com slash Riverfront Cincy. Subscribe. Smash that subscribe button. Help us spread the word. You can like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're on all the podcast places where people listen to stuff. I don't know. We have a good time. We want to share it with you. So join if you can. And that's going to do it for this episode, guys. For Wick Terrell, Bill Lack, Mr. and Mrs. Nuxall, this is Nate Dyson. So long.